On this episode of CBD Talks, we are continuing our 14 era overview of the Bible, and we're finally getting. We made it! To the era that everyone has been waiting for. We're here. That's right. We are in the gospel era. And finally, Jesus Christ is walking on the scene front and center. Starting out as a baby, uh, but we're going to get all the way to adult Jesus on the cross, being resurrected, ascending into heaven. Man, there's a lot to cover in this one episode. Amen. I mean, the Lord did a, a, a redemptive work, took thousands of years to 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 bring this about so that there would be absolutely no doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Gospel era next. Mm. All right, so let's hop right in on this Gospel era. Uh, you know, people get the very start of the Gospel era wrong. They think that the Gospel era begins with the virgin birth of, of little baby Jesus. And we celebrated at Christmas and we put him in a manger and, you know, we get people to act out in an Easter place and stuff. Uh, but I want to point out, I think it's so cool. You know, the silent era doesn't end with the birth of Jesus and the gospel era doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. Joel, why don't you reveal to us how does this era actually start and begin? This era begins with the most amazing moment, and and it is the the angel coming to Zacharias and, and Elizabeth, and and letting them know that hey, you are going to have a son in your old age. These prayers that you have been praying for years is it is all the Lord has heard, and mm -hmm. He is going to fulfill it. You're going to have a son. And and it it's this this is the one that was promised in Malachi. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is gonna fill him up in the from the womb. He is going to prepare the way for the Lord. And 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 so there's there's this an amazing, really sometimes comical story of how they receive this information, but then the Lord brings it about. And it's in that context that the angel also appears to Mary. And, but I, I don't know how far you wanted me to go. No, I, I, I just it wanted just... to point out, I think for this era, instead of us going over a full timeline of all the events, because we will be talking for 10 hours if, if we try to do that. And then we'd be like, we'd stop at 10 hours and then say, let's finish this, you know, tomorrow we'll try to film it again. But I thought it'd be cool to just point out um, some things that as we have read through the Bible chronologically, as we've gone farther in Bible literacy, what are some things from the gospel era that have really stuck out to us? And the reason why I bring up that story is because I think it is so amazing that the gospel era starts not with the announcement of the birth of Jesus, but at the announcements and declaration that, that Elizabeth is, is pregnant and she is going to give birth to John the Baptist, the, the man who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And, and this is so cool because this is prophesied in the Old Testament. And so many times we put John the Baptist like as this random side character, like, oh yeah, and Jesus also had a cousin and he ate locusts. Don't worry about him. And it's like, no, no, he's, he's vitally important to the story because God said, this is how he's going to break his silence. And, and he is the one who's going to be preparing the way so that when Jesus arrives on the scene and begins his ministry, there is someone there to baptize him. And there is this proof of all these people who are coming to repent of their sins that this man is is the messiah and man if you if you jump straight to mary and jesus and you ignore john the baptist i think that you are missing out on on a lot of what god is trying to do in scripture and you you have here a transition from era to era it just just like you have i what always stands out in my mind the the transition from the Judges era, or, or excuse me, the yeah, the judges era to the kingdom era mm -hmm. is Hannah's prayer. Yeah. Well, here you have an angel showing up to to Zechariah and and announcing the coming of John the Baptist, and and it's a transition into this gospel era. Yep. It, you know, there's been a famine of God's mm -hmm. word for 400 years, and then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord says, Zechariah, 
Elizabeth is is going to get pregnant, mm-hmm. and and all your prayers are going to be answered. So it is an amazing moment because we're finally here. We're finally out of the Old Testament and yeah. into the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, what's something that that really stuck out to you? Something that like you really like to talk about? What's something that this chronological approach to the Bible really helps reveal um, in the gospel era? Well, if that's that's really a, a tough question. Because a lot of things stand out, but primarily, I, I think as you look at the at the big picture, we we have, you know, we, we basically have the full story of God keeping His promise to Eve, the promise that He confirmed to Abraham, the promise that He He made to David, and and Jesus is born of a virgin, just like the prophet Isaiah told Ahaz would happen. He becomes a stumbling block to Judah, but God saves a remnant, just like he, the prophet Isaiah told us would happen. He is, he is put on a cross. He is pierced for our transgressions, mm-hmm. exactly like the prophet Isaiah said. Everything that God had promised mm-hmm. about this Messiah for thousands of years comes to pass right here in this era. Jesus Jesus heals, he teaches, he he forgives, he he brings in uh, 12 guys to you know as apostles mm-hmm. to witness all of this, to witness the real-time fulfillment of scripture. But I think what what the the gospel era the, the biggest impact that the gospel era makes on me is the way Jesus leads. Because after he's died on the cross, after he has uh, raised from the dead, before he ascends into heaven, he he tells or, or he spends 40 days mm. teaching the apostles about the kingdom of God. Now, these 40 days, it's interesting that these 40 days are so crucial. And, and in my mind, one of the most impactful things that happens in the in the gospel era that sometimes we forget mm-hmm. we get caught up in the miracles and the you know all the the stories of faith and yeah. and salvations that well, happen it, well you know it, it's because i think we think that the crucifixion is like the the high point and then we just do like a quick epilogue where we're like jesus died and then he rose again and then he floated up to heaven and it's like <laughs> no there's there's he did other things after the resurrection. Yeah, and he did, and it's these forty days where he's doing those other things. Yeah, these forty days get me up every morning. Mm. It, it, it here's what he does. He he spends forty days teaching them about the kingdom of God. It's a forty day kingdom of God boot camp, mm. right? If you go back to Matthew thirteen, there's there's several parables about the kingdom of God. He's promised that it's going to multiply. He's told them how valuable it is. He's told them, you know, about the different ways people are going to hear the gospel. But someone who understands it's going to it's it's going to multiply. They're going to bear fruit. But he comes back around these 40 days. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 24, beginning of verse 44. Mm -hmm. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Okay, so you go back to the Gospels and you just don't get a whole lot of commentary of Jesus detailing for the apostles. Look, everything here's here's what was written in the Law of Moses about me. Look, it's being fulfilled right now. Mm-hmm. You, you have a few spots, but you don't have explicitly a yeah. lot of text given. But Jesus is saying, listen, all these words that I have spoken to you while I was with you, everything written about me mm-hmm. has been fulfilled. Um and he's 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 coming back and he's reviewing all of that. Jesus isn't going to leave the earth until the apostles completely wrap their minds around the fact that the whole Old Testament mm-hmm. was fulfilled in Jesus. Yep. Right. Maybe that that's an inaccurate statement, but all of the passages about Jesus in the Old Testament have been fulfilled. Then he opened their minds in verse 45 mm-hmm. to understand the scriptures. Mm. Now, this could have been a momentary event. Jesus could have waved, you know, he could have done the Jedi thing. And yeah. just, you know, like, and then all of a sudden they're like, 
whoa, you know. I think this is happening over the course of 40 days. This Mm -hmm. is my opinion, though. Um, So I want to make sure you understand that. But but I think over the course of 40 days, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And he is opening their minds so that they understand the scriptures. And he's opening their minds by teaching them and showing them. And, and, And so... He says to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And, and, and I think it's remarkable what these 40 days shows us is that Jesus spent you know, all this time mm-hmm. growing up, and, and then he spent three years of an intensive ministry he spent all of this time and he's not leaving until he's certain these 12 guys can tell the story of the Bible. That's right. This is what gets me up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And th- I'm telling you, th- this is what, th- this is the passage that convinced me that we were onto something in, in, in the CBT discipleship system. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this discipleship system that, that Ava May developed after she got back from missionary work in Africa, that this whole system is, is really the, the, the most effective thing that I have ever seen that does exactly what Jesus is doing for the apostles yep. in these 40 days. In mm-hmm. fact, I've never seen anything that could get that job done in 40 days. Mm-hmm. But I've actually used the CBT system overseas in less than 40 days and watched people understand the yep. very thing Jesus wanted the apostles to understand. Mm-hmm. So just to make sure I'm being clear, key point, the most incredible thing that I happens, that the most incredible thing that I believe happens in the gospel era is Jesus will not leave the earth until he knows the apostles can tell the big story of the scriptures. And we see them doing that. We see we see mm-hmm. Paul telling the story, the big story of the Bible. We see Stephen telling the big story yep. of the Bible. And, um, and, and that, to me, is giving us our mandate. This defines for us what God wants us to understand and how we are to use the Old Testament. Yeah, you know, and, and speaking of using the Old Testament, I, I think another another just amazing thing for me uh, is you know sometimes you read the Gospels and you get the wrong idea about Jesus's teaching. Uh, sometimes you think that he is teaching all brand new stuff and like it had never been taught before and it had never been revealed before, and he's like he's starting from scratch. And sometimes, especially if we're only teaching, you know, the parables and stories and lessons of Jesus, like that's the conclusion that someone who hasn't read through the Bible can come to. Like they think this is the first time it's ever said. If you really pay close attention to the teachings of Jesus, what you find over and over and over is that what he's always doing actually is he's referring back to the Old Testament and he's explaining it, he's clarifying it, or he's correcting something that someone else got wrong about it. And so when you're like, what did Jesus spend his time teaching? Like, what did Jesus focus on? And it's like, well, it seems like what he focused on, you know, with, with over 90% of his teaching is, is he is correcting an incorrect view of the Old Testament. Like, that's what he's doing. People don't understand the Sabbath, so he's correcting the understanding of the Sabbath. He, he starts so many with... Uh, haven't you read or it is written or you know this is what the prophet said and 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 when you look at the words of jesus you know in in your bible you might see all these little numbers and letters by those words and you look down the footnotes your bible and there's all these references it's because jesus is just constantly repeating and explaining what the old testament has already said and if you've never diligently read the old testament you think it's all brand new stuff coming out of his mouth but if you have read the Old Testament, um, and, and like you really are careful about that, then when you go to read the words of Jesus, you start picking up on this is what he's referencing. This is what he's relying on. And the reason why I think this is so cool is because Jesus is not, he, he's not like us. Like he is God. 
when he speaks, that is new scripture and teaching on the same level as the Bible and God's word. So it's like when Jesus, if Jesus preaches a sermon, that sermon is just as true and authoritative as what we have like in scripture. When I preach a sermon, it's going to have mistakes. It's going to have flaws. It might not communicate right. It's not God's word. So, so Jesus could have decided as God, right? He could have been like, I'm going to give all new revelation, all new teaching, never refer back to it. Like he had the authority and he could have done that, but he specifically chose to refer back to the Old Testament and to rely on what God had already revealed. And, and then to simply explain that. And if Jesus is so careful in his teaching to make sure that he uplifts the authority of Scripture, how much so in, in our teaching do we need to make sure mm -hmm. that, hey, I'm not relying on my opinion. I'm not relying on what I think. I, I need to make sure that I'm disciplined where everything that I'm saying is a is simply taking what God has already said and and trying to and trying to explain it, trying to clarify it, trying to to correct a bad belief about it because if if God himself was disciplined to do that, man, we've got to be disciplined too. Now, that might not apply to everyone listening if you're like, "Well, I'm not a leader or a Sunday school teacher or or, or any of that," but you know, as a minister, I got to tell you like that that really hits home for me. And, you know, you might have heard the term like expository uh, preaching before, preaching through books, the Bible. Like, why is that so important? Well, because it seemed to be important to Jesus. <laughs> and so if, if that's how, if that's how the Son of God, if that is how the Word uh, chooses to teach the Word, <laughs> that's how we need to teach the Word as well. Uh, yeah, and I think it, it, it is applicable to everyone because we're as as believers, regardless whether or not we ever stand up in front of a group of people and mm -hmm. teach the Bible, we're always going to encounter a a friend who has lost a loved one. Yep. Maybe at a at a funeral or just in a conversation, we're going to encounter children who have questions. Mm -hmm. And when we explain the answers to people's questions, what we are doing is we are communicating, hopefully, truths from God's word. And we need to understand, that, you know, and Jesus used all kinds of, of teaching methods. You know, he used parables. He, 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 he gave uh, what, I've lost the word, but uh, demonstrations um, where, where like he would heal someone or, or he would, that when he fed the, the, the 4,000 and the 5,000, he came back around to the uh, disciples later and said, hey, do you remember these? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. that, you know, let, let me teach you a little something, or you should understand this. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I think it, it's important what you know what you what you said that we understand that's what you said is not just for preachers or for yeah. ministers. That it, all of us need to be careful as we are communicating to elevate God's word and 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 to elevate the authority of God's word, the sufficiency of mm -hmm. God's word. You know, when you look at the New Testament, the, the Gospels, the Gospel era, it really is uh, four complementary accounts of, of the Old Testament prophecies yeah. about Jesus. That it, 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 How those prophecies are being fulfilled. And and I think it's it's neat to see that there are, there are things that I never really understood that were foretold in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. Even after, even after I read apologetics books mm -hmm. and 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 all of those things, there were some things that only studying the Bible chronologically helped me really take hold of. One of those things was understanding the the in the law of Moses the festival laws and the feast laws, mm -hmm. and understanding you know basically there were. There were three times a year the people of the nation of Israel were to come together in Jerusalem. They were to observe seven feasts during these three times. When you look at Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, 
and, uh, and, and, and then his ascension and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You see that these festivals were more than just scheduled times for Israelites to worship God in yep. the Old Testament. Jesus died on the Passover. Mm-hmm. He was raised on the waving of the sheaf. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of, of Pentecost, mm-hmm. the, the, the Feast of Weeks. Uh, we call it the day of Pentecost, yeah. but it, it's the feast of first. Uh, it, it's the feast of weeks. Mm-hmm. There are so many really neat things like that that studying the Bible chronologically and using the fourteen era framework helped me understand and really magnified what Jesus is really trying to get across his entire uh, Earth trip. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's saying. I am the Messiah. Mm-hmm. G- I am God. Mm-hmm. I am man. Mm-hmm. I am the Messiah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm King of Kings yeah. and Lord of Lords. And so as you read through the Gospels, understand that that ultimately Jesus is systematically showing us that there is no proof, no reasonable doubt, no room for any doubt that he is the yep. one who was promised in the Old Testament. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis once uh, put forth a famous argument um, saying that you can either believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, or you have to believe that he is a complete insane, crazy person. Like, you can't say that, oh, well, I believe Jesus was real and I think he was a great teacher. I just think he was wrong about being God. Like, no, you, you can't do that, right? You either have to believe that he is the Son of God or you have to say that that he was a you know, charlatan and, and completely insane. Um, but I do think there's actually a third option in there that perhaps C.S. Lewis didn't really consider at the time. And that is there are people where because the Bible is very clear on who Jesus is, and because there's so many proofs recorded in Scripture, like you just mentioned, proving that he's the Messiah, um, the only way to really conclude that Jesus isn't the Messiah is to say that you do not believe that the Bible is reliable. You do not believe it's God's Word. And so people that say, like, I believe in the Bible, but I think there might be multiple paths to heaven. Like, no, you can't have it that way. And what I really think is a lot of this modern, I'd say, doubt or or disbeliefs or or, or questions about those fundamental truths, I think it it really goes back to a lack of of trust and understanding of Scripture. I I really think that, that that's what we can narrow it back down to. And that's why it's so important not to just say Oh yeah, the Bible's God's word, but but to teach it to the next generation, to to have it indwell in, in, in their hearts and minds. Because if we stop reading the Bible, if we stop treating it with the respect it deserves, if we stop understanding that it really is God's word, that's where all that false teaching, that's where all all those doubts and all those heresies can creep in. Um, because the truth is, I mean, if, if you believe the Bible is God's word, if you believe the Bible is reliable, if you believe that it is not full of lies, like, well, then I'm sorry, you cannot come to any other conclusion other than Jesus Christ is the Messiah. There are so many proofs that it is it is outrageous how clear God made this, where there is no shadow of the doubt. Um, and, and, you know, something else that we kind of piggyback all that off that too is because there's so many proofs and because there's such an uh the old new testament are so entwined in the person of jesus christ him being the fulfillment of all these things the truth is if you just start with the new testament you can't come to a very clear understanding of who jesus is because the descriptions of jesus in the new testament rely on us understanding those things in the Old Testament. If you really want to know what it means when we say that Jesus is the Lamb of God, we don't just mean that he died on a cross. Like, we mean he is specifically the Passover Lamb who was killed on the Passover. Uh, And that 
allows us to be redeemed and our sins to be forgiven. Uh, and there's all these temple laws, there's all these sacrificial laws that God has been revealing for thousands of years. And it's him fulfilling all those things so that later on, when they say in the New Testament, Jesus is the Lamb of God, like that is a very profound statement because we understand what that means. When it says the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, there's so many, uh, so much Old Testament truths and stories which tell us what this means. Like, because there's prophecies about this day in the Old Testament. And like you said, there's a whole festival system uh, that that makes this event happen. The fact that there were foreigners who were of Jewish descent, but living in other countries, speaking different languages, but because it was at that festival, that's why they were all gathered. So that's why you're able to, to preach this sermon. That's why the Holy Spirit is able to do this miracle. And it's because, oh, this festival is happening. This is what's going on. And so I guess the, the main point that I'm trying to say is don't think that you can understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah if you have not read through the Old Testament where God describes what the Messiah is going to be. Absolutely. And so I think the, the, the gospel era is very much a really a, a proof test to how are we handling the Old Testament? Because mm -hmm. the way we handle the Old Testament is going to affect the way we understand the Gospels. Yeah. But next, Jake, I, I'm going to answer two what I consider key questions that we have to get right in order to understand the Gospel era coming up next. Mm -hmm. Today's episode is brought to you by ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com, your one-stop shop for attaining Bible literacy, understanding of the 14 eras, and continuing on your Bible literacy journey. That's right. If you want to grow in your Bible literacy, ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com is a, a, a never-ending resource of commentary and tools that will help you on your discipleship journey. All right, Jake, the first yeah. key question I think you have to answer in order to understand the gospel era. Well, well, hold on. I want to point something out to all of our listeners. So you might notice Joel doesn't like it when I throw random questions at him live with no preparation because who would like that? So I want to point out these questions he's about to answer. These are the questions that he came up with himself. So I do want to point that out real fast. I have no idea what he's going to say. So I'm like you. I'm going to react in real time. And I'm I'm excited. I'm pumped. Well, and and I think that that being asked random questions without any preparation is just the worst situation possible. We, it's we, so much fun. Though. We had we had a guy. He's a he's a seminary professor in one of our seminaries, uh, and uh, he came to preach at our church a couple of weeks ago. He was he was actually in a youth group that I was the youth minister of, and so I used to give him all kinds of grief. So his way of getting me back now, now I'm the pastor of, of, of a church, he comes to preach at our church, and during the sermon, he is asking questions and then asking me to answer them on the spot in front of everybody. That I'm telling you, terrifying. like the next time he comes to preach, I'm going on vacation. So yes, these questions are not something that that I just hurriedly rushed through. I have been forming the answers to these questions for years mm -hmm. as I've read through the chronological Bible using the 14-hour framework. The first question is this, why does Jesus have to die on the cross in order for our sins mm -hmm. to be forgiven? When you really think about it, all of the altar scenes that we've seen in the mm -hmm. Old Testament have all been given, uh, the, the people have been giving blood sacrifices by faith mm -hmm. in repentance. I mean, the whole burnt offering you know, ceremony is a, is a display of the repentance mm -hmm. that has happened in the mind. And so the, the, when Jesus is put on the cross, he's put there by Jews 
through false accusation. Yeah. And he's being put to death in a in a Roman, you know, uh, political environment. Mm-hmm. It's not like people are saying, God, we're sinners. Please forgive us. Here's our sacrifice. Yep. So the question arises, why does Jesus's cro- Jesus's death on the cross give us forgiveness of sin? It's not his sacrifice is not given to God like any other sacrifice. Yeah, and and to even piggyback off that um cuz this is this is something that I get asked all the time too, you know, if if we don't think seriously about these things, then the question arises, well why did he have to die at all? Right? Because if it was just Jesus loves us and so he wanted to forgive us, well then how come he didn't just say, well you're forgiven, I choose to forgive you. Um so I, I want to point that out too, like thinking about these things, like it is important. And I appreciate what you said of like we got to spend years of trying to grapple and understand these things because we want to have the kind of faith to where if someone is reading the Bible for the first time, if someone's understanding the story, if they ask a question like, How doesn't why doesn't God just, you know, forgive us? Why does there have to be a sacrifice? Why did Jesus have to die? Like, if we can't answer that, like Man, we're gonna have trouble sharing the gospel. Yeah, exactly. And and I think you know, I think we're called to prepare ourselves and and to know God's word, to be Bible literate, so that we can answer the deep seated questions yeah. that are in people's hearts. But this question rises out of this situation. So, if you if you don't know the answer to the question Jake posed, uh, why did Jesus have to die at all? We'll go back and start listening to the rest of the podcast, beginning with episode one, the creation era. Mm-hmm. And and that the answer to that question will become clear. But when we're when we're looking at Jesus's death on the cross, we have to go back to Isaiah 7. Now, if yep. you've listened to this podcast, you know I go back to that chapter a lot. But it is the story of Ahaz, King Ahaz, king of Judah, he is surrounded by armies. He's terrified that that something bad is about to happen because these armies are fixing to attack. And God tells Ahaz, look, these armies are not going to destroy you, I promise. Even though Ahaz is a wicked king, God is saying, look, they're not going to destroy you. Look, Ahaz, so that you'll know that I'm telling you the truth, mm-hmm. ask me for any sign it can be anything, no restrictions, and yeah. I'll do it for you. Now, God is, is asking this through the prophet Isaiah, and Ahaz like gets all religious. He's like, oh, I'm not gonna test the Lord my God, you know. Mm-hmm. So um he doesn't ask for a sign. This angers God because it is a lack of, of faith. God is giving this wicked king a chance mm-hmm. to have faith, and he doesn't. And so God says, okay, you won't ask for a sign, I'll give you a sign. Mm-hmm. A, a, a son is going to be born of a virgin. Mm-hmm. And, and this sign, this virgin birth, is unpacked over the next chapters in Isaiah. This one who is born of a virgin is going to be the Messiah, the king promised mm-hmm. to David. One of the things that Isaiah says about this one born of a virgin, though, is that um, is that God is getting God is going to cut off his people when this one is born of a virgin. Mm-hmm. He's going to cut off his people, but he's going to save a remnant. Yeah, right. So when you take that into the New Testament, you see these weird places where the disciples ask Jesus, "Why are you teaching in parables?" Mm-hmm. Now, today, I've heard preachers in, in America say, oh, you know, Jesus is the greatest teacher in the world. He, he teaches in parables. Like these things are, are just the greatest form of teaching. And yeah. uh, like when the disciples asked Jesus, why do you teach in parables? You know what Jesus' answer was? I teach in parables so that they won't understand. Mm-hmm. Because if they understood, they would repent. So it, Jesus actually teaches in parables to keep the Jews from understanding. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, he explains the parables to his disciples. Yes. And, and, and there are many Jews, remember God said he would save a remnant, mm-hmm. believe Jesus, 
and uh, and and many are uh, experienced the baptism of John in mm-hmm. preparation for Jesus. But we have to understand that as Jesus is is teaching and healing and and performing his ministry, leading up to his death on the cross, God has promised once this one who is born of a virgin comes, he is going to cut off his people, mm-hmm. he's going to judge his people, and he's going to save a remnant. So this is why Jesus has to be put on the cross by the Jews in false accusation, mm-hmm. because God has already pronounced judgment on his covenant people. Yep. And, and so Jesus dies on the cross as judgment on the Hebrews, mm-hmm. the Jews, but as redemption for Israel. Yep. Okay. So when once Jesus dies on the cross, um, uh, the Jews that have put him there are judged. And you say, that's harsh, man. Like, like, how could God do that? Well, keep in mind, just 50 days later, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and yeah. many of those same Jews got saved yeah. because the gospel was preached to them. Mm-hmm. But, but Jesus had to die on the cross in judgment and in redemption. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's why Jesus wasn't offered... Uh, as a as a blood sacrifice by faith, this yeah. was not the scene where Abraham gets ready to slay his son Isaac uh, by faith, yeah. believing God is going to resurrect him. This is the Hebrews in hatred and anger because Jesus dared to say he was the Messiah. Yeah, this is them killing him, murdering him, mm-hmm. shedding the blood of an innocent one that God had promised so that the guilty could be saved. And, you know, another kind of layer to that, too, um, you know, because when people receive that and they're like, well, well, wait a minute, how is Jesus being put to death by the Jewish people, a judgment upon the Jewish people? So I, I also just want to point out, you know, don't think that there was ever a time in the gospel story uh, where Jesus isn't in complete control. And so another aspect of that is like, well, if if Jesus isn't being offered as a sacrifice by, by the high priest for the atonement of sins in faith, it's like, okay, well, then who's making the sacrifice? Like, well, Jesus is making the sacrifice as the great high priest. He's like called the great high priest, and he is also that sacrifice. So that's why we say like Jesus is sacrificing himself as our great high priest to cleanse us from our sins. So it's this it's this thing of it looks it looks different and at the same time you you go back and you read uh, you read those Old Testament laws, you read how the sacrifices were supposed to be made and you're like well, this is what it means when it says Jesus fulfilled him. He didn't just fulfill them in the way we thought he'd fulfill them. He fulfilled them in what is clearly the way they were always intended to one day be fulfilled. And it's this amazing, like, full circle of, like, it's this aha moment of after it's done. And everyone's like, that's what was happening the whole time. This is so cool. But but no. you have a, a second question. Right? Yes, and that the answer to the first question leads us to the second question. Because if Jesus was not offered by faith by yeah. the Jews... Um, why is the resurrection important? Mm-hmm. So the question really should be, how do we know that Jesus is laying down his life as his own sacrifice as the high priest? Yep. How do we know that? The resurrection. Mm-hmm. The resurrection is the proof that God accepts the sacrifice yep. that our high priest Jesus makes mm-hmm. on the cross. And, uh, and so without the resurrection, we would have no proof that God accepted this sacrifice yep. as atonement for sin. But, you know, the writer of Hebrews describes this in detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says in Acts chapter 17, as he's speaking to the Athenians, that, that God has set a day for judgment. Mm-hmm. And he has placed, he's appointed a man as judge over that day, he's speaking about Jesus, and in order to give assurance that that future thing will happen, mm-hmm. God raised him 
God raised him from the dead. So the, 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 the question, why is the resurrection important? Because it shows us that God accepted this sacrifice. Yep. Why did Jesus, uh, why was Jesus's death on the cross considered a sacrifice? Um, well, because uh, God, God through this death on the cross is judging his people, but saving a remnant. At the same time the Jews are rejecting Jesus, mm -hmm. Jesus as high priest is offering atonement yeah. for Israel. And by the way, God clearly grafts the Gentiles into mm -hmm. uh, the nation of Israel. And, uh, you know, Paul says in, in Romans to, to, be a, uh, to be a Jew is, is not to be circumcised outwardly, but a, yeah. a real Jew is circumcised inwardly uh, through the circumcision of the heart. Yeah. And these things are, we're getting into the weeds just a little bit, but well, we're, and, and we're also foreshadowing, you know, the next era, which is of course the church era, because you know what we're talking about when the, the remnant of the Jewish people that remain, and then the Gentiles being grafted in, like, well, what do you call this new group of people who are circumcised in the heart and who are by faith in Jesus submitting to him as Lord and being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, well that's what we call the church. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Well, and, and I think it's, it's important to, to just understand that the gospel era uh, gives us that clear, that clear distinction that Jesus is the Messiah that the old Testament, that God, foretold in the Old Testament. Yep. And and Jesus, he he is he he did promise that not only did he die for our sins mm -hmm. and not only did he rise from the grave, but he will come back. Yep. There is a day appointed for judgment and he will come back and judge all people according to faith. So, Jake, uh, is there anything else we need to say about the gospel era before we oh, I wrap have, it up? I have one more thing real fast. You know, Joel, I often think that it would be an amazing thing if there was one Bible that was in chronological order that followed the 14-era frameworks, and then it had articles and helpful tools, uh, you know, just to help us understand the big story of the Bible. Yeah, wouldn't it be cool if there was one resource you could buy that could be used for communal faith growth as a church together mm -hmm. reads through the Bible, and for small groups and for individual devotional reading time. Wouldn't that be great if that resource existed? Yeah, we would need that resource to be like a one-year chronological study Bible written with the CBT team. Wait a second. It does exist. And you can order yours today. One thing that I find really uh, interesting about the gospel era is, you know, when, when people are reading it, sometimes we get this mindset of like, man, if I was there, I would have been one of the faithful disciples. I wouldn't have been like those evil Pharisees. I wouldn't have been like all those unbelievers. And, and really, I think when you read through the gospel era, and especially keeping in mind, you know, Jesus is teaching primarily uh, in parables. Um, here's the truth. Like, I think if I was alive back then, Man, there's a good chance I would have been on the Pharisee side with with some of those claims of like I don't know this guy's saying he's God, I just don't know if I can believe that you know I I, I do like to believe that I would have been one of the one of the five thousand that would have come to faith at the crucifixion and resurrection because I would have been like well that's good proof you're telling me <laughs> you're telling me if you saw. Jesus heal someone in front of your very eyes, you might not believe. I'm saying that I don't think that it's healthy to read scripture and immediately think I would have been better than, than everyone else. And here's the reason why I, I like to make that claim. You know, they had all the Old Testament scriptures about the Messiah. And some of the Old Testament scriptures about the Messiah were meant to be read, uh, I'd say, metaphorically. And some of them were meant to be read literally. For example, uh, you know, it says in Isaiah that the, uh, the Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions, um, and our sin and our guilt will be uh, put upon his shoulders. Now, those are very 
literal things that literally happen. He actually is crucified and he's going to die. But they all thought, oh no, that's that's just this metaphor, meaning like he's going to be like, I'm bearing your burdens because I'm such a good king. Uh, but then the things that were not meant to be taken literal, but are speaking of a deeper metaphorical truth, like the fact that uh, you know he would reign on the throne of David forever. We know like well that throne is is in heaven. Like it's not talking about a chair in Jerusalem. But they thought like this is very literal. There has to be a chair in Jerusalem that Jesus or the Messiah sits in after we've won this war with the Romans. And so. I think that as you read through the gospel era, it's important to, to eat a big slice of humble pie and to always be like, I'm not going to assume that I would have been better than everyone else. Uh, I'm not going to assume that, you know, we talk about doubting Thomas. I'm not going to assume that I would I'd be like doubting Thomas. I don't want to brag about hypothetical stuff. And in the same way, we know from Scripture that Jesus is coming back one day. And there's a lot of people that make a lot of assumptions uh, about when exactly that's going to be and how that's going to look and how that's going to happen. And I think that when we read through the gospel era, we should also take that, uh, we should also have that takeaway of being like, you know what, I'm not going to be so prideful that I'm going to assume that I understand everything, that I'm going to assume that I'm better than everyone else in my belief. Like, I have to approach Scripture with a certain amount of humility, where I'm like, you know what? When I read a story and someone's doubting, like I need to place myself in that in that person because you know I have doubts too, and I shouldn't assume. Oh, I wouldn't have ever doubted. I would have done this. I wouldn't have done that. Because um, I, I think that it's just a big source of pride for people, and I think you know the same people that you know will be like, I know that God's that Jesus is coming back next Tuesday. You know, like those those people, like well, they. They would be in that camp being like, well, Jesus can't be in the side because of this, 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 and this. And so when I read scripture, I just want to say, you know, don't don't read it and assume all the Pharisees are the bad guys and all the Jewish people are the bad guys. And then all the disciples are also the bad guys because they doubt and get confused. And Jesus has to Yeah, some them. of them are even doubting when Jesus is giving them the final, like the Great Commission in yes. Matthew 28. I mean, some of them are still doubting up to that point, you know. Yeah, and, and so it's, it's this thing of like, you know what, it's easy to say, I would have had greater faith than them. But here's the truth, like we're living in this modern day, like right now, and we're facing trials and temptations right now. And here's the truth. Like even, even as a pastor, even, even as a minister, even as someone who's, who's read through the Bible, I still sin and I still make mistakes. And if I ever start thinking, I would have been better than the disciples. I would have completely understood everything. I never would have any doubts. Like that is just kind of a root of pride. But if instead we, we take the opposite and we realize, you know what? I'm also depraved. I'm also capable of sin. So I need to be really careful that I don't give in to doubt, that I don't give in to temptation, that I read the Bible with humility. Because if, if I'm reading the Bible with pride, it's going to be difficult for the Holy Spirit to break through my pride and reveal to me what the Scripture is actually trying to say. But if we approach it humbly and say, I recognize I might not be able to understand this by myself. So I need to rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what it says. I, I think that is just a healthier approach uh, to Scripture. And I think I think those truths are really highlighted in the Gospel era because, I mean, the Pharisees, they studied the Scripture. They still got it wrong. The disciples were walking with Jesus day after day. Like One of them wasn't even a believer. I mean, we, we do have to face these truths of, of saying, like, you know, humility is, is something that is so incredibly important. Now, I'm going on a little bit of a rant, but that's just one last thing I kind of wanted to, to Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know if we're about to have a debate or if, if, if I just need some clarity on some of because like I'm I'm listening to you and I'm yeah. I'm right there with you on mm -hmm. we have to have humility um I think we're I think it, it, here's here's some pushback uh so if I I 
I understand everything that you said. Mm-hmm. I, however, I also understand that there were those who did get it. Andrew, when yep. he's standing behind, beside John the Baptist, and he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Like mm-hmm. Andrew knows the story. Mm-hmm. He he knows the scripture. He understands, and and by faith, man, like he follows Jesus. So there's there's this part of me that says, "All right, if you don't recognize." Jesus, it's, 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 it's not because, well, oh, well, the scriptures are just difficult and impossible for you to understand. It's because you did not by faith study the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And, and so let me, let me just give this as, as, as a final, just clarification point. Mm -hmm. If, if you're reading the scriptures and asking the wrong questions of it, Mm -hmm. For instance, right now, if we're asking the question, when is Jesus going to come back? It's the wrong question. We yeah. don't know that. Um, if we're if we're asking questions of, of some very difficult passages in Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, and 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 we're trying to make, you know, the Catholic Church is this character in this prophetic, you mm-hmm. know, writing, and Russia is this yeah. character. We're like, this, that's Putin, and, and that's, you know, and then America is yeah. well, but but I mean. If we're if we're make if we're if we're asking those kinds of questions, mm-hmm. then I I'm right there with what you said because those are prideful questions uh, that we believe we can answer. Mm-hmm. If we're reading scripture humbly, learning to ask the right questions, um, and 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 maybe simply the the right question is is to look at the book of of Revelation and simply say. Um, oh, oh, Lord, um, is is there sin in me that is keeping me from uh, from a right relationship with you, um, mm-hmm. keeping me from understanding your word? Um, help me, uh, forgive me, yeah. um, restore me, well, because I want to be ready. Mm-hmm. Be- but I, I think the great promise of the Bible is mm-hmm. that it, it, whoever seeks for God will find him. Mm-hmm. So... In everything you just said, man, I think we're I think we ought to all be one one hundred percent right on. We cannot read scripture with pride. We have to to read with humility, and we have to hold on to some of our conclusions loosely. Mm-hmm. But we can have confidence that God has made Himself known in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And we can have confidence that if we seek to know him, we will find him and we will know him. And we won't get caught up in the same mistakes mm-hmm. uh, that that the fair. Because I like I've known you for a little while. Yeah. Right. And I'm just going to say that you're not like the Pharisees mm-hmm. and you're not like the Sadducees. Um, you are like the disciples. Mm-hmm. You do sin. You do mess up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the story of the Bible. I have every confidence that if you lived back in that day, you would have gotten it if yeah. you went in with the knowledge yeah. that you have now. Well, I think it's more so of a... So push back on me like that. Yeah, yeah, are yeah. we having a debate yeah, well, no, or am are. I asking you to it's clarify? It just became the best okay. episode on that. <laughs> no, no. So that's a good point. I think what I'm trying to communicate really is not that... you know, I'm not trying to say that it would be impossible for anyone to know because we have clear descriptions of people that... Can't encounter Jesus, and we're like, this is clearly the Messiah. What I am saying is, if we're looking at, well, what is best for me to do, like right now, two thousand years later, as I live my life, it is dangerous to always put yourself. Um, well, going back to Noah's Ark, it's dangerous to always assume, well, me and my family would have been on the boat. We would have done everything right, like. And it might be true. You might have been on the boat. You should but, just always evaluate. But you should you should always have that humility of evaluation of like I, I'm not going to always assume that I always know everything. I'm not always going to assume that I'm always in the right. I'm not always going to assume that I would be the hero in the story because if in every biblical story you take the position of I would have done the right thing, well then that means that you're not really learning much in that story, are you? Uh, and and one other thing that, that I want to say, and, and this is probably what's fresh in my mind, I, I had a 
discussion with uh, with someone not too long ago, and we were talking about Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is this famous uh, a passage where where Jesus is just saying like this is how you need to have conflict resolution, and, and the very simple command is you know if if someone has if you have a grievance against your brother, if someone has sinned against you, the, the first thing before you start spreading rumors, before you start trying to build up a case, like you, you need to go to that person. And see if you can resolve it if they're a brother or sister in Christ. And and this and this man is, is highly intelligent. You know, he's he's not a, a, a young Christian. He's he, he's more seasoned than I am. That's the polite way of saying it. But but he he said, I know it says that, but sometimes that's not the best thing to do. And and I'm just thinking, like, you know what? Maybe there is a a hypothetical situation with with other circumstances. Where you know there, there's this other course of action, but I'm like, if if we always approach that with thinking like, well, I feel like I know enough about the Bible that I'm willing to say, yeah, you can kind of ignore that command. It's like, man, that's that's a dangerous assumption right off the bat, and I think that's really what both the Pharisees and the Sadducees were also doing. If they're like, you know what, he says that. This Messiah is going to be pierced for our transgressions, but don't worry about that. I'm telling you, I know what he's really going to look like. And the Sadducees were like, hey, I know that it says that there's a spiritual reality and there's going to be a resurrection, but don't worry about any of that. We're, we're on team Greek. Like there's, and even the disciples, right, as they're being taught by Jesus directly, and Jesus looks them in the eye and says, I am going to die. <laughs> and then they're like, I can't believe Jesus is being killed. And so... There's all these examples of, of I think it is healthiest for a Christian to always approach the Bible with the assumption of there is something I need to learn here because there is a risk that I could be like the person, you know, that that doesn't believe. I could be like the person who's being chastised. And if I put myself in their place, sometimes it's easier to, to get that lesson. And maybe that clarified maybe that made it more confusing you know i i do believe in jesus right now and i like to think that that would be the same but you know uh, pride is such a, a difficult thing and and sometimes i think especially especially ministers especially pastors you know sometimes we make the mistake of being so prideful in our knowledge of scripture you know that that we just read the Bible and, and we just think, man, everyone makes all these mistakes. I wouldn't have made those mistakes. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think I think there's uh, there's there's room for for this statement. Uh, the 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 power of the CBT discipleship system is that it over the course of 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 a year you learn to ask the right questions of yeah. scripture. And I really think right now uh, that question, who would I be in this story? Maybe it's it's not the best question. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you know better questions as we read through the gospel mm -hmm. era is what does it teach us about God that mm -hmm. Jesus is is speaking to the Pharisees in parables, yeah. keeping them from yeah. repentance. Uh, what does it say about man and the brokenness of man that you have Pharisees and Sadducees, yeah. and and so you know I I, th I think the worst thing we could do is is live in fear that we're not going to understand this book that God has actually not only promised us that he, we would understand but also given us the Holy Spirit to help us yep. and uh provided high priest for us praying intercessory prayers daily for us mm -hmm. and given us the entirety uh, of the written copy of his word Yep. In our language. Yeah, because you know there's so, Yeah, because there there is this, you know, this this tension of like going back to Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, you don't want to take the Bible uh so loosely that you remove portions of scripture like Sadducees. You also don't want to add to scripture and elevate commentary. When the same way when you're approaching your reading of scripture, you don't want to be so overly sinfully doubting and I'm going to do air quotes humble that you're like well I can never understand so I don't want to try in the same way you don't want to be so prideful that you read it once and you're like I understand everything uh, and and 
I will say, man, just a hearty amen to it's so important to ask the right questions. And that's part of why, if you're listening, watching, you know, one of the reasons why we are ending each of these 14-hour overviews with those uh, summaries of God speaks, God acts, and God reveals. Another way to think of it is we're asking the question, like, what did God say during this era? What did God do during this era? What is God revealing during this era? And, you know, we think those are some pretty safe questions to really frame our understanding of the Bible. So we're going to do that the review of God speaks, God acts, and God reveals uh, coming up next. You know, Joel, we are so thankful for our sponsor, ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com, because they allow us to produce CBT Talks for free and send it out to anyone and everyone as just a resource to help them on their Bible literacy journey. But, you know, there's other free resources that ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com also produces. One of those are weekly videos, and these videos includes a video that uh, previews that week chronological reading, uh, hard questions in the middle of the week that you might be thinking as you're reading through, and then even a review video uh, to cover that week's reading. And for anyone reading through the Bible, especially if it's your first time through, those videos and those resources are invaluable. And if you follow the link on the screen below or in the description, you can sign up to receive these free videos in your inbox and on the website as you continue on your Bible literacy journey. Well, in the gospel era, God speaks. And, uh, and, and it's really interesting because Jesus is God. Yeah. So, Je- so, Very literally. <laughs> so God literally speaks, I mean, all throughout the gospel era. Yeah. It, it just, it, if you have a red letter Bible, it's very apparent. <laughs> Every story in the gospel era, God is speaking. But mm-hmm. you also see that, that God is, is, is abstractly speaking as well. Everything mm-hmm. that Jesus does says uh, by his own testimony, um, is is a fulfillment mm-hmm. of the Old Testament, of what God had already said. So uh, similar to what we said in the silent era is happening in the gospel era as well. Uh, God is, is speaking in real time, but what he has already said is coming to pass. Mm-hmm. God is also acting. And in the gospel era, man, is God just doing a lot um, too many miracles <laughs> list i mean really he is it, 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 there are several moments in scripture where miracles the the frequency of miracles and quantity of miracles just explode mm-hmm. this is one of them and 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 god is trying to make it crystal clear uh who he is and and therefore in before people's eyes with many witnesses there's no you know, small group of people who only are privy to to what God is doing and then responsible to, you know, tell everybody else about it. That's what every other world religion constructs um, because man's not nearly as creative as God. No, God Mm -hmm. just for, I mean, tons and tons and tons of people see God acting and healing and teaching and, and, um, and then, and then, you know, just like I said in the, previous segment you know god is is fulfilling prophecy he is judging his people mm-hmm. but he's saving a remnant yep. um god 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 allows uh, this sacrifice according to his sovereign purpose mm-hmm. and then he raises uh jesus up from the dead yeah um man like god is he always says to the israelites i am the god who brought you out of egypt you know, I am the one who yep. who who moved with an outstretched uh, uh, arm and a and a strong hand, like or an outstretched hand and strong arm. Yep. I forget which one, but uh, like like in the gospel era, boy, is God moving mm-hmm. with an outstretched hand and, yeah. a, and a strong arm. Mm. Well, not only is God you know, speaking and acting, but He's also revealing, and man, He's revealing just so much during the gospel era. You know, I always go back to that same truth, though. You know, God may take a long time to fulfill his promises, but but he always faithfully fulfills them. That's the and phrase I'm going to use from now on. Every time, faithfully. And successfully. Faithfully, successfully, uh, <laughs> sovereignly fulfills them. Uh, you know, but God is also revealing, you know, 
that sacrificial system and the idea that there is a penalty and payment that must, like, there's a penalty, wages of sin is death. He's really revealing that. But he's also revealing that just like way back uh, in, in in Genesis, where you have you have the sacrifice uh, of Isaac, where God stops it and provides the sacrifice, He's once again revealing that truth of like, listen, there is a penalty for sin, but I'm going to provide the payment for that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna provide the way for your forgiveness of sin. I'm also gonna pay the cost for your forgiveness of sin, and and He's revealing really that whole sacrificial system. And revealing what he was doing, like with the Passover in Egypt, all of these things are coming to fruition. Where you have this really clear picture in the gospel era, and this picture is going to be refined and explained uh, in the later eras. But but that picture is right here uh, in the gospel era. God's revealing that. He's also just revealing that you know you have you have stiff-necked, hard-headed, legalistic people that are trying to work their way into heaven. And, and they miss the Messiah. But then you have, I think this is, I mean, this is the gospel right here. You have broken down, dirty, rotten sinners. But they see Jesus. And they don't miss him. Amen. And and man, that that is the big revelation we need to get Amen. from this. Uh, that's the gospel message. Uh, you know, and, and so God's, God's revealing all these things. It, it, it's coming to fruition. But you know what? One other thing that God is revealing in this era is that the story of the Bible continues on after this. Mm-hmm. We have we have several more eras to cover. Uh, you know, sometimes people think, you know, with the ascension, well, the Bible's over now. It's in the movie. The, the, the play's done. And it's like, no, God continues to speak, to act, and reveal. And like you said, one of the last things that God that Jesus reveals to his disciples is he takes them through the big story of the Bible and he reveals himself through all those passages. And once they understand that story, uh, we then enter into the church era and we see them apply that story. We have the church era, we have the missions era, then we have the end times era. Uh, it's it's going to be exciting. Absolutely. And the reason it's exciting is because the story of the Bible works. So... so CBT Talks. Thanks for checking out this episode of CBT Talks. If you'd like to support us, uh, you can like, comment, subscribe. We have a Facebook channel, a YouTube page, and a main website, chronologicalbibleteaching.com. We're a nonprofit organization, so all those things helps get our reach out to more places. That's right. We're everywhere on the World Wide Web.